I Love Mortgage Brokering, episode 142. Where the best mortgage brokers get better. I Love Mortgage Brokering with your host, Scott Peckford. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here from I Love Mortgage Brokering. Today on the show, I have Tracy Velko. She's part of the DLC Network. Tracy was raised in a banking family. Both of her parents worked in banking, but Tracy chose her own path and became a mortgage broker. She shares how hiring an assistant helped her grow her business, not only once, but twice, and why it took her so long to make her first hire. She also shares how she uses very focused marketing in her community to build a reputation and generate referrals. She has some awesome ideas. So if you're struggling with letting go and want some motivation on how to be an effective community marketer, check out this episode. You're going to love it. This episode is sponsored by Pioneer West Acceptance Corp. Pioneer West is a private lender in BC and Alberta. Now, normally when we have a sponsor for the show, it's because I've personally used their product or service and I can give it a 100% recommendation. In this case, it's a little different. I personally don't do B-deals. So I did some background checking on the crew at Pioneer West and found that everyone I talked to said they were fast, down to earth, and underwrote deals if they made sense, which is exactly what you're looking for in a B-lender. Another cool thing about Pioneer West is they still have money to lend. I've heard that some private lenders are running low on cash, not these guys. So if you're a broker who's looking for a lender for your next B deal in BC or Alberta, check out Pioneer West Acceptance Corp and tell them you heard about them on I Love Mortgage Brokering. This episode is sponsored by AdLaw Appraisals. They're a full-service real estate appraisal firm located in Vancouver, BC. They appraise residential and commercial properties throughout the lower mainland. I did some background checking on Adam and the crew, and brokers tell me they're fast, efficient, and now approved with most banks, credit unions, and B lenders. They've invested in technology in order to ensure quick turnarounds and keep brokers in the loop. His executive home appraisal price doesn't kick in until $1.5 million, which keeps costs down for borrowers. In addition, rent estimates are always included for free, and the first letter of transmittal is always on the house. AdLaw Appraisals is a big supporter of the broker community as it created a unique offer for our listeners. Go to adlawappraisals.com and mention ILMB50 and you will get a one-time $50 off any full service appraisal. Check them out at adlawappraisals.com. Hey, Tracy, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, Scott. I'm really honored to be on the show today. So when you're a little girl, you probably didn't say, hey, when I grow up, I'm going to be a mortgage broker. So what was your path to getting into the mortgage business? Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't something that I, I thought about, you know, going through grade school and uh, high school that I was going to be a mortgage broker. I, I grew up in a family where both my parents were in the banking industry. Uh, my mom was a mortgage advisor for uh, Bank of Montreal for like 34 years. So I became well versed and educated in regards to the mortgage business. And I saw my, my parents do the, the banking path. So it was definitely there in the back of my mind as I was going through, you know, high school and with the university as well, too. And, and I just, I, more of the courses that I took, I became more interested on the financing side. Um, I think my biggest switch to become a mortgage broker, I, I, again, I had no knowledge of a mortgage broker or what that was, is when I started working with MCAP. And I had to work, and that's when I got introduced with who a mortgage broker was and what they do. And it really piqued my interest because as a mortgage broker, we're able to give our clients options. It wasn't just one product. And be able to give the client the best rate and best product that's available in the marketplace. And I, and I love that. I really love the communication aspect with the client. And so that's when I took my big leap, like 17 years ago today, into the broker business. And I mean, I haven't turned back at all. I mean, I, I love it. It's just been like... So rewarding for me as a broker and then also you know as I've become really good friends with a lot of my clients over the years as well too. Right so you have a banking family you go to university you say hey I kind of like finance so how what does your family think of you because you said your mom was 34 years and with the bank? You know what's funny is my parents never dealt with a mortgage broker 
You know, they never, there was no type of referral program that they were, you know, educated on on the banking side. So for my parents, it was a big adjustment. One, to be self-employed because that's not something that they did, you know, with their career. And uh, mortgage broker, well, why wouldn't you just work for a bank, right? So it took a real adjustment, I'll be honest. Like my dad's 82 and he still, (laughs) to this day, has a hard time understanding why I just don't work with one bank. But um, my mom's really understanding now the value and, and, and the service that we provide the Canadians in regards to, you know, our knowledge and being able to have choice, right, in different lenders and products and what's best for the client. So, like I said, at first I think it was, you know, a, a just not understanding. Now, um, you know, I've got full support from them. Um, and I honestly think my mom probably would have chose this path if it was something that she would have known. If it was an option back when she was doing it even. Okay, so you're in banking and then you switched to MCAP. So did you go from banking to MCAP and then into brokering? Is that was the path? Yeah, like I started off uh, working for, I actually worked for Bank of Montreal while I was finishing off my university. And then I went to household finance and that was a great place for me to go. I think that was probably one of the best places for me to go to understand the B side because I did mortgage underwriting and did mortgage collections for household finance. So I really understood how to put deals together and package them up, you know, with people that have difficult financing credit issues as well too, right? So I did that for a few years as well. So I got a lot of experience that way. And then from there, I went to work with MCAP. And that's when I got introduced to, you know, the broker side, right? And dealing with brokers and what that was about and that relationship between a lender and a broker. And then when, how long ago did you switch from working at MCAP to actually just just straight, just brokering? Because you were probably salary at MCAP, right? Yeah, I was. Yeah. So I took that leap. I was pregnant with my daughter and took a mat leave. And then in 2001, I um, became an, an, a mortgage agent. So I did six months with a broker as an assistant to, to understand that process. Because again, it's a new world to me, right? So I wanted to make sure I really understood everything and saw, you know, ev- the everyday transactions of how it worked with um, dealing with clients on the broker side. So I did that for about six months. And that's really all I needed needed to kind of get myself going as an agent full time. So I started doing that, like I said, closer to, I I became licensed in 2001. And then closer to 2002, I kind of was like completely on my own. Right. That's awesome. So obviously, then were you when you made that I know it's pretty little while, but were you nervous to go from salary, you know, benefits to just straight commission? It was, but you know what, in the back of my mind, as much as I was nervous, I had confidence. Like I knew I had a gift of really communicating well with clients. And it was just a matter of time of going through, you know, I I tell any new agents that are coming through, right, you're going to go, it's going to take you a good 20 to 30 deals, right, just to really get that flow with the clients, understanding how you communicate, right, well with the clients. So, I mean, you know, it was a bit of a struggle at the beginning, for sure. And I learned what you know, what worked, what didn't work. And I started taking other courses as well, too. Like I, I took some public speaking courses at the college as well, too, just to help give my confidence up and learn different techniques to communicate well with clients, as you know, also. So I think that helped as well from a perspective of not having benefits. Yeah, you know, I was in a good fortunate situation because my husband was still working on the finance side and had benefits. So from that, it, it didn't affect me too much. But the income for sure, like, I mean, it's a struggle right at the beginning, right? So you just, you have to make sure that you financially plan for it because it's not where you're going to be making, you know, it took me a, a good few years to start making some good solid income, right? And I mean, that's anybody starting out, they really got to make sure they prepare for that to be self-employed because it is different, right? Mm-hmm. It's different than you're getting a, a paycheck every two weeks. Okay, so I have a question about your team. So you have a team right now. So what do the people do on your team? So how, how is your work structure? Because I think it's valuable for someone 
who's either looking at building a team or maybe they have a team, just looking at how other people structure their, their workflow? For sure. Yeah. So absolutely. So I spent many years on my own. How many years before you hired an assistant? I hired my first assistant in 2009. So eight years. Eight years on my own. And eight years, and I'm not kidding you, eight years of working till like three o'clock in the morning. And so if, look, going backwards, would you have done it sooner? Absolutely. You know what? Everybody says that. Yeah. I, I didn't take the jump soon, soon enough. I should right. have done it a long time ago. I probably should have done it a good five years into the business be, instead of waiting eight years, for sure. Because as soon as I hired my assistant, my business grew like 20%. As soon as I hired my next assistant after, which is like she's a mortgage agent here, so she takes other like appointments, you know, once I can't uh, fill in in my day as well too, my business grew 50%. And that's when I, that's when the light hit off. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I should have done this a long time ago. What was the reason that kept you from making that jump? Why did it take you eight years instead of doing it in five or something? Fear, right? Like, can I support that person? What happens if there's a downturn in the economy? You know, it's, it's, it's a fear of failure, right? So, you know, I'm doing well on my own right now, but can I sustain having somebody you know, do it. And also I'm very much a control freak. I really am. So it's kind of like ownership of my own stuff. Can I actually, you know, have somebody handle my file front to back and not worry about it and have that confidence in that person. Right. Right. But I was really fortunate. Like I'm really, really blessed. And this is no joke on the team I have. They are awesome. They really are. And it's just, they have the same beliefs, the same work ethic. We work as a team. I do it different though. Right. Like I don't hire agents under me where mm -hmm. if they're and we're, we, we compete, I hire them under my banner, right? So we work collectively together and it's just worked really well. So let's say I'm a client, I call in and I'm like, hey, I'm going to get a mortgage. I, I have my consult. Tell me what happens from that point and then who does what? Because I think that's a, always very valuable for people. For sure. So um, if you call into my office, you'll first get me on the phone when you call in is Sandra. I call her my customer care coordinator. So she'll answer the phone, introduce herself and obviously my office. She'll ask the questions in regards to what, you know, their financing needs are, and then she'll look at coordinating an appointment for them, for my office. So I still am a big believer of meeting people face-to-face, -face, but again, we do have some clients that are not in my area that we do a lot of online applications as well. So she'll book the appointment between myself and my other mortgage agent at my office, depending on what her schedules are, right? And if the client is requesting myself or my other mortgage agent, Alicia, then she'll coordinate it based on what our calendars are and book that appointment. And she'll also advise them of what documentation to need. So, okay, somebody calls in, how do you decide who meets with Alicia, who meets with you? Is it just schedule? Is it previous relationship? How does that work? Well, it depends on the situation with the client. So um, if it's an existing client of mine that I've had in the past, a lot of times they'll want to still meet with me, which is absolutely fine. And she'll coordinate it that way. She'll look at the schedule too, because sometimes I'm, you know, I'm not in the office five days a week, right? So I do do presentations out of the office as well. So she'll look at the schedule and see where it best fits and what's been, you know, what's available to see who she fits it into. If it's a new client coming into the office, they'll meet with Alicia so she can build up, you know, that book of business under me as well, right? So that's how we kind of query. So existing clients, majority of them will still meet with me that have dealt with me in the past and, or have requested me. New clients coming in will meet with Alicia or if they're, re you know, if they really want to meet with me and that's fine. It's just a matter of, you know, seeing if it fits into my schedule for the days that I do do appointments. So if you had like out of a hundred uh, meetings, how, what percent would you take versus Alicia just out of curiosity, just to see how the division of work goes? 
Yeah, so right now I'm about 40%. She's about 60. Really? I would have see the way you explained that, I would have been like, for sure you're taking more of those, but good for you. So you've gone from the control freak and to being a, hey, teams are amazing. Yeah, but you see, that didn't happen overnight, right? Like Alicia's been with me now three years. So, and she's the other mortgage agent that's at my office that does sales appointments like, like myself. So I've, you know, I've trained her and she's just really flourished that way as well too. So my comfort level is better. So I'm able to have her handle a lot more appointments, right? But that didn't happen overnight, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. three years of me being able to do that, right? Right. That's good. And then, okay, so you get the first meeting, approximately how long is that first meeting? And then when does Melanie come into the picture? So the first meeting is again, just kind of a meet and greet, find out what the client's looking at for their financing, you know, find out their interests. I, I usually spend the first half an hour anyway, talking about their family or, you know, issues that they're having. A lot of times when people come in, they really, I tell everybody, they unveil, right? They take off every layer of what's been bothering them financially, emotionally as well too, right? And you need to listen, right? Because that's what they're looking for. They just haven't found that person that they've got that confidence. And so we'll all usually spend the half first half an hour trying to, you know, to look at that with them. And then I start looking at solutions with them. So if it's, you know, a matter of, let's just say it's a marital split and I need to refinance their home, right? Mm-hmm. Take off one spouse. So I'll work on uh, doing the application at the time of the appointment. I keep my appointments an hour at a time, but I finish my appointment in 45 minutes because I want to take 15 minutes to make my notes and, and make sure that I've got all my information down before I take the next client if I have an appointment after, right? So once that appointment's been finished and I tell the client, we're going to send in your application for approval, it'll take two to three business days, I introduce them and I give them Melanie's business card. So she is my office manager document specialist. And on the business card there, I clearly indicate what her role is and that she'll be contacting them to let them know that they're approved and then booking an appointment for them to come back and sign with me, right, and what documentation I need. So I really explain the roles of my staff at my appointment so that the client's fully aware and understands how the system here works. And I think that's really important because you have to have a really rock-solid system and policies and procedures in place if you want to do a lot of volume. Right. I totally agree. And so then you do the sort of the planning side of it. What do you do online applications? Do you take them always live? Like what's that look like? Well, we have a couple ways to do it. So I do have an online application on my website. So I have clients that if they're just too busy, we'll have a conversation on the phone and they want to do an online application. That's fine. We can direct them to my website and then that goes directly in our system. And then I usually will set up a phone conversation with them to go over that application and get collect anything that we're missing. Right. So there's that way to do it. We do telephone, you know, applications as well, too. So if the client has an hour where we can be on the phone with them and we can do the application in full at that point as well, right? We do it that way. And then, like I said, they can come in and and then we can do the application as well and face-to-face. Okay. And then, so who hits the submit button? Do you or Alicia hit it? Is it Melanie that hits the submit? Uh, It's Melanie. So Melanie does all, she sends in. So I make sure that's really key too, is having one person to be consistent. Yeah. There's not like, hey, I thought you did it. No, I thought you did it. So... And that was my biggest mistake because the first couple of years that I, Melanie and I worked together, I was sending in deals, she was sending in deals, the notes were different, you know, just the way that we structured the deals were different too. And, you know, it can cause confusion, right? She's the one doing the documents, she's the one that's sending everything into the lenders, and she's not familiar with the deal. 
I reevaluated that and say, no, that's not working. And we need to do it with just one person, right? So, and that's so Melanie's it. So she knows underwriting guidelines inside and out. Like, I mean, better than I do. It's ridiculous what she knows. And you're the relationship builder and you come up with the initial plan kind of thing. That's right. Yeah. So I come to her and like, we'll sit down. So even after, you know, when I meet my clients, we'll set up a certain time every day that we meet. And I've got, you know, a list of the clients that I've seen. Alicia will have them too when she meets her time with Mel for an hour. And we'll be like, okay, this client needs this and this and this. This is what I'm thinking of in terms of lender and rate. And then she'll come back saying, no, we should look at this lender and we can get the, you know this different rate. And so we agree upon it and then she'll send it in. So everything's consistent. She knows what's going on. I know what's going on with the deal as well, too. So when I get it back from her, you know, she's got an appointment booked for me to sign up. She's told the client what documentation to bring in. So it's really easy and seamless in order to get it done, right? So, and that's the thing is consistency. Okay, I have a couple other questions. So what happens when Melanie goes on holidays? It's funny because she's on holidays this week. So I have trained one of my other staff. So Sandra, who's my customer care coordinator, she is trained to do the documents, right? And also to prepare the files for me for signing. But I will send in the deal. So between, if Mel's off, I'll send in the deals. And again, she does it when, when I'm here anyway, right? So I just, it's a little bit different. I don't have someone that does her full role. So you just pick up the slack, basically. If you do go away, you have Alicia, who literally could just swap out for you, right? For the part that you do. So I try to pair them up. Alicia and me have the same roles pretty much to, you know, a certain extent of meeting the client. So I just make sure her, Alicia and I are not on holidays at the same time, or we try not to be away at meetings and that, right? And the same thing with Melanie and Sandra. I make sure those two are not on holidays, right? So we, they can just kind of piggyback off each other's job roles, right? For a bit until everybody's back together. Okay, that's cool. And when you said you were working by yourself, how many hours were you working prior to getting an assistant? I would start in the morning and eight o'clock and then I would I just can't believe I the stuff I used to do and back then my kids were smaller so I would have to I would get home at about four o'clock to feed them did get dinner ready and that for them and then I'd come back here at like about six and I literally I'd work here till like two or three in the morning and go back home and do that every day pretty much and so now what kind of holidays are you able to take you know what? I'm still like, that's still a struggle for me, but I'm better than what I used to be for sure. So my days, I'm still working long days, but not like I used to like that. So I would start like, I'm, I'm up really early though. Like I'm up at four thirty in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I prepare my day. Like that's the only time I get to go to the gym is in the morning. Right. So I do that kind of stuff. And I get to the office usually about eight thirty, and just depends on my day, but I usually try to, and I'm still working on that this year as well too. I try just to do two nights late. So I'll do like a 12-hour day. So I'll work like 8 to 8, right? And I'll try to do that two days a week. Mm-hmm. And then the, the three days there, I'll do like 8 till 5.30, right? right? 8 to 5, 5.30. So I can come home and have some earlier days. And then I'm usually here on Saturday or Sunday for a couple hours just doing like a men's, like my own personal bookkeeping and that kind of stuff, right? And kind of get myself prepared for the following week. So, I mean, from that, I, I still could probably cut down some more that way, but it's tough, right? Like, you know, it's a juggle, right? When you're self-employed, because there's so many different aspects you got to look at. It's marketing, it's sales, it's your staff. So where does your business currently come from? So you've been in, in the business a long time. So like, how, what would that split of clients, would it be? Yeah. What's the source? You know what? Like 50% of my business is still my existing client base. I've got a great client base, right? And that comes back to me, you know, numerous times, which is great, right? And then referrals from my clients as well, too. And I get a lot from marketing, right? Like that's really been my success. What kind of marketing has been working for you? One of my biggest successes three years ago was doing the local newspaper. 
really in my area in, in, where I'm at. So we're a smaller community. I mean, we're growing quite a bit over the last three years, but I advertise a couple times a week in the local newspaper consistently. I've been doing it now. This will be my third year, and I do it online as well too. So it's been, I couldn't believe it. It, it took about six months for it mm-hmm. to kick in, but I couldn't believe the referrals I was getting it from it. It was incredible. And then I just, I picked up from there, right? So I did any local magazines in the community around where my office is, where I live. I looked at other communities as well. I do door knockers every second month in specific areas consistently. Mm-hmm. And I really learned that from um, some really successful real estate agents that have been in the KW area where I've been. I looked at what they did. Um, and, and how they branded themselves, and then I just kind of changed it a bit on the mortgage side. But it's just getting your name out there, right? So for me, it was different. I really didn't want to build my business on realtors and financial planners. So what percentage of your business do you think comes from realtors? No, I don't do it. I just do not do it. So do you get, like, none? Do you get, like, a... I get a few. I mean, for sure, I, I get a few. Like, I'm not going to say I built my business on realtors because I didn't. Right. And, and it's tough to do that, right? Because... Your realtor could be your best friend, and then the next day you get a deal, a referral from them for a client, and you can't get the deal done, or it's the client's not happy with the rate because of you know some financial issues, but the realtor doesn't understand that, and they'll turn around and say, well, you know what, Tracy didn't do her job; she's not a good broker. Right, you're only as good as your last deal. Yeah, and I don't want that. Like I didn't want to live a life in this business with that over my head, right? And the same thing with financial advisors too. I didn't want to rely on them for my business. I wanted to rely on myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's why I wanted to just brand myself, my team consistently so that the clients come in that way. So realtors is a really, really small portion of my business. And I'm really proud of that mm-hmm. because I think and I've looked at other successful brokers across Canada. Like I, I looked at what they did. I've talked to a few as well, too. And they laugh when I say, did you build your business on realtors? And they laugh. They're like, no. Like you don't have to. There's, you know, I always say you match your personality with your market opportunity, and so you're like, hey, that's not how I want to do it. And then you found a different market opportunity, and you just, you know, stayed with it, and obviously built a good reputation. So you said 50% approximately from past clients, and then what percent would you say is from client referrals? Because I, I almost feel like they're almost a, it's like an, a natural offshoot. Or does that 50% include client referrals? That that includes client referrals for okay. sure. Okay, and then where would the other fifty percent come from? So, what percent would be from like your market? Like, would the other fifty percent be from marketing? Yep, absolutely. And I should also tell you too, my marketing is also doing community events. If you've looked at any of my stuff, like on Facebook and even on my profile, on my website, and that we do a ton of community events. So, um, every year, this will be my fifth year now. We do a free winter skate. Mm-hmm. So we rent out one of the biggest rinks in the area, and we promote it on the, in our local newspaper, on my database, any of my existing clients. And, yeah, they come out for a skate, right? So they bring their family, and we have craft there for the kids. We have tons of stuff. We had, you know, clowns, face painting, ton of stuff at it. And I've built on it every year, right? Like I add more stuff to it every year. And how, how many people come out to that? We had, I couldn't believe it. We changed it this year where I was going to do it in December, but it just got really busy around Christmas time. So we held it like the first week after January and that rink could hold 250 people capacity, like on the ice. And we had lineups outside the door before it started. So we had over 400 people on the ice within that three hours. And so how do you mark? Because I think event marketing into your community or into your database is extremely effective. So how did you fill that event? Like, was it? through 
letting your clients know? Was it through? And then we put it in the local newspapers, right? And then we also advertised it at the local rink where we held it as well, too, because a lot of people will go through there because their kids play hockey or, you know, do ice skating, figure skating, that stuff as well, too. But, you know, when I tallied up where the majority of those people came from, it was, I would say it was about 70% my clients and then 30% from, like, just people seeing it online, right? Right. But that's still good. You're getting a you know some FaceTime with a whole bunch of clients, and you're picking up thirty percent potential new people who are getting you know interacting with you guys. Yeah, for sure. And we also we asked everybody to bring to use clothing, food because we um, donated to the local food bank, women's shelter as well too. And we had stacks, like we had bags. We showed it online to get bags of stuff, and it's just a matter of giving back in the community. So that's one thing that we do every year. The other thing we did, which was our first time last year, which was a huge success, was in the middle of the uh, summer, before the kids went back to school, behind where my office is, there's a big park there, and uh, the city allowed us to be able to have a movie projector there, and we advertised in our local uh, community right by where my office is, uh, movie night, like kids' movie night. And uh, so we had a movie there, we had popcorn, candy, we had some mascots there for the kids, we were giving away balloons, and we filled up the park. It was crazy. It was so, and these kids were so excited. They saw the advertisement for like weeks. They couldn't wait for the movie. I had like tons of people come up, and that's not, you know, some of the people were my clients that are in the area, but the majority of those people were all new people, right? You sound like you've got like the Mark Good playbook of you know basically becoming the mayor of your town. I know, I love it. Like I tell you, I really really enjoy that part of it. It's just it's worked out so well. We've got our wine and cheese show coming up next month. Tell me what's that? So that one is is where local businesses will come together that, you know, they you know, they're they're smaller venues of, you know, selling different types of food, make your own wine or even, you know, beer, like wine beer, that kind of stuff as well too. Nobody's there for mortgaging and I'm the one that's there, right? So I can't tell you how much fun that was. Like the girls here at my office can't wait for that event. But it is it gets a long event because it goes Friday till Sunday. And you're there from 11 in the morning to 11 at night. Because most people that go to this event will go as groups together, like as a woman's night or a bunch of guys getting together, and they'll go around. And it's just different booths that you go to to get different types of, you know, liquor and different cheeses. And it's a fun night. But telling you, like last year when we had it, they shut the doors on the Saturday at like 8 o'clock because that uh, event reached capacity of people in the um, arena where they held it and we had a lineup of people at our booth wanting to sit down and talk about finance because they're they're walking around for a few hours right Mm -hmm. we booked appointments from it we were giving out cupcakes we had wine like i had wine made like i had my logo on it as well too so if anybody who set an appointment for my office we gave them a bottle of wine to to take away as well too and we gave away a weekend in niagara on the lake and it was great the girls here loved it like they couldn't wait for me to book it a game for this year but it's long days right was it an expensive event to be part of for the three days, it was like 1100 bucks, right, to rent the booth. And then all the stuff that I had, right? And then I've got to staff it as well, too. So was it worth it? For sure it was worth it because I got out of, and I marked that down, actually. So from that event alone, I got six mortgages out of that. Right. So it definitely was worth it for me. I feel like I'm only scratching the surface of all the things that you are doing, actually. So. Oh, yeah, I got a list. You, I can tell. I can tell because we we kind of you know we're coming to the end here. One one thing I do want to ask you is what would you if you could look back and say, hey, this is something I should have done sooner. You mentioned the one thing about hiring an assistant. What's something else that you you know, wish you would have learned sooner? You know what? And this might sound really corny, but it's the truth. It's just believing in myself more. 
you know. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, as a woman, it was, it was tough. It was a business where I came in, it was mostly men. The offices I was in was men, and they're like, well, no, you need to stay as an assistant, right, or it's going to take you a very long time. So you, you kind of keep that in your head, right? Yeah, that's all just nonsense. Yeah, and I had all these ideas in my head. Like, I'd be driving around going, oh, my God, I should do this. I should get involved in this. I'm like, oh, no, I better not, right? And you know what? Kick myself, right? Like, I should have done it. But, again, your path is the way it's supposed to be for you to be able to learn and grow and, and lessons in life, right? So, you know what? I wouldn't change it because it's made me who I am. And I, I mean, like I said, I've got a great team and I love it. Like, I love it. I love where I'm at right now. And I've got some big plans for my office, for my team, uh, for the community here. Like, I mean, I'm getting involved in a lot more. And like, to your point too, you know what? My involvement will be more also, not only on the broker side, but getting involved more in the community and with the politics around KW as well, too. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I wouldn't change a thing where I'm at right now, to be honest. Right. That's a great answer, actually. So, hey, I really appreciate your time today, and I've got lots of great ideas. You've actually inspired me. I'm like, man, we're not doing enough things, at least our office, in our community, and you guys are doing some great stuff. So I'm going to go talk to my business partner and say, hey, we should cook up some stuff. So where can people find you online? So Tracy Balcos. Just my name, so www.tracyvalco.ca. Um, and anybody can give me a call. Like, I, I don't mind, you know, sharing my ideas. And that's what it's all about is just, you know, helping each other, right, and grow our businesses together. So anybody can give me a call or email me with any questions. And I'd definitely have you back on again at some point in the future and just see what kind of stuff you're cooking up because I can tell you are like an Energizer bunny. You're just like, go, go. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Scott. Okay, awesome. Thanks, Tracy, for your time. All right, thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. If you do, you'll get three deals in the next week. Okay, that's not entirely true, but we'd really appreciate it. Also, you can check out everything at ilovemortgagebrokering.com. See you next week.